Hello, friend and colleague. It's Nikki from Full Voice Music. On our podcast today, episode 154, my special guest, Michelle Marquardt DeVoe, is going to be talking about the difference between online and brick and mortar businesses. So timely right now. Phyllis Horridge is helping us to understand the difference between agents and managers and how voice teachers can work productively with these industry specialists. And I'm going to take some time and talk about some of my group recital and group performance opportunities that are working really well right now in my online studio. Business business and more business (laughs) right here on the full voice podcast hello welcome thank you thank you for showing up thank you for putting your earbuds in and checking out the full voice podcast to all my friends and colleagues from around the globe uh a happy new year although 2022 (laughs) has brought us yet uh, another wave of challenges. Um, I hope that you are navigating these with grace, perhaps a sense of humor, a sense of adventure, (laughs) wherever you are and however you are managing. I hope you are doing well. I think you are actually, I know you are going to find this episode of the Full Voice Podcast extremely helpful. Uh, Our good friend, uh, business expert Michelle Marquardt DeVoe, who has been uh, a guest on our our podcast for several years now, and I am so grateful that she graciously shares her expertise and her um, her advice. I have uh, my business has profoundly been affected by her guidance, and I am so grateful. And I hope that you can uh, glean some helpful tips and and ideas and. Um, uh, and and just just general best business practices. Her conversation today and what we're talking about, obviously very timely, as many of us have either gone back to online due to the Omicron um, variant, um, or many of us over the past couple of years have really shifted the way that we do business. So whether you are teaching online temporarily, whether like many teachers, you have moved to a hybrid model where you have in-person lessons, but you also serve students online, or whether like me, you have transitioned 100% to an online studio and perhaps will never ever see a student step foot into a building (laughs) that you are in. Um, This conversation is so fantastic. There are so many wonderful things that Michelle is bringing to our attention. So do not miss that. And of course, uh, we also have the delightful Phyllis Horridge. Phyllis has a very strong background in acting. Um, She's a voice teacher and an actor and an acting coach. Um, She's talking about uh, agents and managers. Now, this is something um, that uh, these are professionals in our industry that could be part of a student's team. So understanding their roles and how you can work with them, so 
important. So I want to thank Phyllis for that. And at the end of the podcast, I just wanted to take a few moments to share some of the online performance opportunities that I have been doing for almost two years that have been a huge asset. Um, a wonderful opportunity. My students have loved this opportunity. And I want to talk to you about my latest little, I'm, I'm doing air quotes here, but how I'm doing my little mini recital to wrap up this term of teaching. So I'm going to talk about that at the end of the podcast. So you are in the right place. Without any further ado, ladies and gentlemen, my dearest friend, colleague, and business savvy lady, Michelle Mark Richard. Welcome back to the podcast, the super efficient robot babe, my friend, my colleague. Uh, <laughs> I should really do videos because you, Michelle's doing the robot dance right now. Uh, Michelle, <laughs> Michelle Marquardt DeVoe, how are you? Today, I feel magical. Are you being sarcastic? No, oh, I okay. feel like, I mean, that's a good question and a very fair one. Indeed, a fair one. Indeed. Okay. Um, no, I feel like, um, I feel like something's coming like West Side Story. <laughs> you know, I'm feeling uh, magical. I'm feeling like there's something in the air, something in the air. Not something wicked this way comes. <laughs> something. I don't even know if that's really the right notes, but I feel in my memory that it is. <laughs> I love it. I We have a very important topic right now, and I am so glad that you are here to share uh, this. We're talking about the difference between an online business and a brick and mortar business. And there are so many teachers. I have now transitioned... Oh, yeah. I no longer teach anyone in person because I moved a province away from all of them and they have no <laughs> choice. <laughs> but I know so many teachers are now either they are going online or they are kind of have a hybrid, right? Like a, they're yeah. maybe, maybe they're teaching online and they still have teachers, uh, students coming in. There's a lot going on. Uh, the pandemic shook everybody up and now there's a lot more options out there. Totally. I just, you know, I did a series of blogs on this on mm. the ye old website. Okay. Um, I think in like June, July. So if anyone's interested to kind of read, read some of what we'll talk mm -hmm. about today in a more like thought out and manner, then please go over to the blog. I think there's like four or five all going through the different ideas. Okay, I'll put links. I'll put links in the show notes to your blog for sure. I think the the first thing I'd like to say is that a brick and mortar business can have online options mm -hmm. without being an online business. Oh, okay. Can you explain? Yeah. So for example, if you are a local studio and you serve people locally, and you have a building or you have your studio in your home or whatever, and you're, you don't want to give voice lessons to people all across the nation or the world, mm -hmm. you want to be a local business, you will not market the same way. Right. 
and you will probably be more like a hybrid, right? Now you can also be a local online business, but if you're doing anything in person, then I think you can consider yourself a brick and mortar with online options. So before the pandemic, I think we could, we saw this a lot, right? Like, oh, inclement weather days, have your lesson on Zoom. You know, uh, sick days, let's do a Marco Polo. Um, some, some really fun models were like, let's do 20 minute Zoom meetings throughout for three weeks, like three times a week, three weeks, and then let's have a two hour in-person session. You know, like there's so many ways that you can use the technology to enhance your brick and mortar. Um, if you are going to have people in person now, if you are in a place where you and you have a risk tolerance and however you choose to define that and what that is for you and your clientele, you can maybe some of the people want to stay online and some of the people want to come in person, right? I would still consider that a brick and mortar business that has online options because in my opinion, the difference between the online and the brick and mortar is what is the intent to sell and who is the intended audience? And then what are kind of the unspoken rules around those particular business models, right? I think what we saw in, you know, kind of the messy middle transition is a lot of brick and mortar businesses trying to become online businesses, but not applying any of the online business uh, best practices. Oh, can you go into more detail about that? So let, let's pick out, I mean, there's so many d details of that. Well, let's, the ideal client. Someone who wants to have in-person lessons, whether there's a pandemic or not, if that's what their number one desire is, they are not going to take lessons with you if you are an online studio because you don't offer what they want. And I think we would do very well to understand the difference between what an online client wants and needs and how to serve them best because of what they want and need, rather than just trying to get in-person people to take online lessons. I think it's time to think about this. Like we've been doing this long enough. The pandemic has been happening long enough that it's time to kind of Okay, we scrambled, we did what we could. Some people, you know, if we had an all in-person studio and then we went all online for risk and safety reasons, you know, great. Okay. Some of those people have have now been converted to people who would rather do online lessons, like but they went through a change. You know, and some of those people were just like waiting. And they were never really satisfied or f not satisfied like you did a bad job, but like they, they just didn't want that. They wanted to be in person and they're just waiting for it to happen again. So I think in our current studios, if we're trying, if we're wanting to make the transition to an online only, we really have to seriously consider of my client base who actually really likes this better now and wants to stay 
online and which students really need to be released to go find someone whose risk tolerance is different or business desires are different and have an in-person experience so that you can create kind of policies and marketing and an online presence in order to grow your online business. Um, because it is, it's an online based, it's an online service based business. Now, when we think about the ideal client, then we kind of go into the whole marketing thing. You know, Sarah, Sarah Campbell of Savvy Music Studio, she's on uh, the Speakeasy Cooperative team. She's on my team and she's uh, my chief marketing officer because she has much more patience around those things than I do. So, um, but we were having a great conversation the other day about this idea that like you, you can have the best offer in the world you can be the best teacher in the world. And if you don't know how to market, it's just, sorry. Like you signed up for marketing. You signed up for marketing when you chose to hang your shingle, friend. Right. Whether you like it or not. Whether you like it or not. And and I, I get it. Like, don't get me wrong. Tra- marketing can be deeply traumatizing if you, and I don't use trauma, I, I don't use the word trauma lightly. I want to be very clear that I know that trauma is a buzzword right now and being trauma informed is a buzzword. And I've gone through some classes and done some research in order to become better trauma informed myself because, because I've been seeing how important it is. So I don't say this lightly. If you are a person who has some deep emotional woundedness around your own worth, around your value, around, now I know I'm going off into a marketing thing, but I think this is important to state. Um, some uh, people who told you you're not allowed to be amazing, people who are not who told you you're not allowed to toot your own horn or speak up for yourself. If you have any sort of traumatic story around showing up for yourself in real time, marketing is going to be an extremely traumatic experience for you that will require some healing as you learn to do it. If you want to own your own business, you will have to learn how to do it because how businesses succeed and run and all of this is that you have people who are strangers who become aware of you. When they become aware of you, they start to learn that they know, like, and trust you. They start to decide that you're the person they want to spend time with. And then they reach out in one way or another, they inquire. And then we begin a process of converting them from a stranger into a client, a paying client. And that is a real thing that, that we need to be aware of and involved in so that we can do it with integrity and we can do it with love and kindness and gentleness. And if, if, if we get caught up in the, like, I keep selling and nobody's buying and it's all about, and that's, and you take that personally, you connect that to some sort of personal story around your ideas being important or your personhood being important or what you offer to the world being your identity. That's very hard. And that's why marketing can be so exhausting for micro business owners as well. Well, and I think too, because of what everybody has gone through, you know, we've, our studios were shook by 
shook by the pandemic, by safety, and people made decisions based on that. And 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 then I I I don't know about your area, but we you know the waves, (laughs) the -hmm. waves come Mm -hmm. in and out. And I think that when we're creating our offers and writing the copy and 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 creating our statements and are looking for our, our ideal clients. We put a lot of work into that. And now we're, you know, maybe we did that maybe six months ago, but now we're offering different things. We have to go through that process again. Yeah. And it's not fun. Well, well, I, it's yeah, no, I, I agree. It is not fun. No, I didn't mean to cut but you off and some say, people well, may, no, it's fun. <laughs> some people may think it's fun and I, and I don't want to take away anybody's That's passion. That's true. I think I think it's not fun. I think what makes it not fun? And this I will tie this back into the online thing because this is very important about the difference between the online and the in person. So I know that maybe you're listening and you're like she's on a tangent, but I guarantee you in my mind this is connected. <laughs> so um <laughs> this I'll get you there. I promise. We'll get there. Um it becomes unfun when your brand identity becomes too wrapped up in your personhood, mm. you, you are not your brand. You are not your business. You influence it. Your core values will guide the decisions you make. You will, you will exhibit brand like qualities in your, both your brand and your personal life, but you are not your business. You are not your bottom line. You are not your gross revenue. You are 100% whole and beautiful and caring and intelligent and clever. You are everything that you are with or without this business you run. And when it gets hard, I think that's when the tendrils start to cross over a little bit too much. And that can be, you know, and it's tricky because when you are a micro business and the business is you, yeah, you're going to draw a lot on your personal story because that's going to be your why to do what you do. It's what's going to keep you motivated. You're going to draw from your deep well, but your business can never represent everything who you are. It can never represent your full identity. And it's not designed to. So keep that in the back of your mind when I'm about to say the thing I'm about to say about how the online market is different, <laughs> right? <laughs> With that, you if you choose to be an online business, you have immediately changed your marketplace. Mm. That means you have to be very specific because there are 7 billion people in the world And if you are not extremely clear about which segment of those 7 billion people you serve, they will not find you because of Google. And I I really hate to make it so like it's SEO, friends. Like if you run an online business, you have to have online ways to be found. And that's going to be kind of what is, you know, generally called the top of funnel, right? Like, how do people figure out who you are? When you're a brick and mortar, 
someone can drive down the street and see the sign on your building. When you're a brick and mortar, one parent can say to another parent at a PTA meeting, oh, well, my kid is taking with so-and-who. When you're a brick and mortar, you, you can still do that with online businesses. Don't get me wrong. Like people can still refer word of mouth. But generally speaking, we humans flock, right? So if there's that one teacher that's getting really, really great results for maybe three or four people in, in a high school program, everyone's going to want to go to that teacher. That isn't necessarily so when you're an online teacher, which means that it's not just your location that makes you important. So you have to, you have to realize you are now a small fish in a giganormous majillion pond. <laughs> and you got to find, I'm going to totally mix metaphors right now. And you got to find your corner of the sky. And I think that is what is hard because first you have to figure that out for the business's brand. And then you have to do the technical things like making sure your website is easily findable by the Google crawl, scroll crawl, the SEO crawl, and then keeping up with all of those rules, right? Keeping up with your Google ads, learning how to effectively create a Facebook ad, which by the way, there's a reason why people charge thousands of dollars to help you create Facebook ads because of course Facebook is not in the interest of like making it easy for you to sell on Facebook because then you'll give them more money thinking, oh, I'll just throw money at this problem and it'll go away, right? Like it is, y'all don't get into Facebook ads unless you are damn sure what you are selling and what that call to action is. And there's all these little silly rules like no, not this many words on this thing, you, only this many words and this image should only have this, like it's, it's crazy pants. The Facebook ad world is crazy pants. So if you're out there and you've spent money on a Facebook ad and you thought, I don't know what I'm doing wrong, don't worry. Nobody knows what they're doing wrong. Like they set it up like that, you know, <laughs> so of course it didn't work. Um, and, you know, people say, oh, well, it's because you didn't know your target audience well enough. And I'm like, that and 25 other reasons why that is hard, but it's doable. It's do it's totally doable, but it is a, it is a, it is a specialized skill set within social marketing mm -hmm. to understand how to put together an effective Facebook ad. Can we just maybe say, you know, I know that our colleagues, I love, you know, the voice pedagogy classes, but when I started selling online and creating a, a an online business, I invested in online resources, like online oh, yeah. courses. Like I paid way back when, and it's totally null and void now because it's, it doesn't apply anymore, but I paid for Facebook ad courses yeah, and, I, and, and everything I learned in those courses does not apply anymore because it's changed so much. It's gotten it so much, every day. right. And then also like learning about funnels, learning about SEO, mm -hmm. writing copy. Like I have invested in a lot of programs for those skills. And if you're going to be running an online business, you, you have, that's where some of your professional development funds definitely need to go into. Yeah. It's interesting because like in speakeasy, I get to 
I get to coach both businesses. So I'm coaching brick and mortar a lot and I'm coaching online and it's fun. I love it because it's fun to be like, you know, I have connectedness in my top five Clifton strengths. So it's fun to be like, this is where these two things intersect and this is where they go very differently. And this is where they intersect. And this is where they go differently in terms of how we run our businesses and how we structure the business model as well. Um, in terms of like revenue and what our revenue streams are and how, and how, you know, who we're paying to do what and like all that kind of thing. So um, that being said, going all online is also about understanding the way that people engage the internet. Um, And that's where we get to things like copy and even just formatting of sales pages. You know, like get comfortable saying the word landing page, get comfortable saying the word sales page, because the market is expecting that and looking for that. And I think what what I notice in the in the people who I'm working with, first of all, they're not really clear on how to use a website to market anyway. And then when you're like, no, we need a services page. And then each of these services needs to have a sales page where you're doing calls to action. They're like, well, I'm that's not the kind of business I am. And I'm like, yeah, you are, because that's how people know how to buy. It's not about you trying to be cute or clever or different with your names on your menu. You know what I mean? And I, I, I feel so awful because people work so hard on these things. And I'm like, you just really, it has to be clear. And if the entire internet is using about me to then the whole market thinks, if I want to learn about this person, I have to go to about me right? Or about us or about, you know, or like services. Just very, very clear and clean. When you're a brick and mortar, you have a little bit more interpersonal going on with your marketing interactions. And so you can afford to be a little cute. Your website can afford to be a little bit more information based rather than discovery based. That's the other thing is with online businesses, the websites can't be there to confirm you exist. The websites need to be there to get a stranger to know what they need to know in order to do something, (laughs) whether that's book a call with you or follow you on social media because they want to get to know you a little better or sign up for your newsletter. An online business's website isn't there to just be like, yes, I exist. (laughs) It's not confirmation. Whereas like in a brick and mortar, because you usually have so much relational stuff going on and it's, and it, and it is tends to be very market driven. Um, it can be more, I'm going there for information. I already know you exist. I already know. And, um, and then two, what services are people looking for? Right. So like this would be, this would be different in like a multi-teacher studio company would have a different, uh, way that they designed their website than maybe an independent studio owner. Right. So, um, Why I think it's important to differentiate, especially, especially this is like, 
Are you an online studio or are you an in-person studio with online options? Because that, again, determines your ideal client, determines how you're going to talk to them, determines how you're going to spend money. What are you going to spend money on? You know, if you want to go, if you want to become a 100% online voice studio, it's, and you are still using like a blue Yeti mic. No, don't. It's time to upgrade friend. Like this is your, this is your brick and mortar business. It, and I, I say, think of it like this. Once you make the decision, if you're a piano teacher, right? Or you're a voice teacher who accompanies and you make the decision, this is my livelihood. You're going to have a very different thought process about spending that $10,000 on the grand piano than if it's like just this little side hustle. You, you'll probably invest in it because you'll see how it adds to your client's experience. You'll see how it adds to your experience. You'll see how it adds to the brand capital of the experience that the student has, right? Well, all of those little tech, that's like the tech things. I'm not saying you have to do that, but I'm saying consider that. You know, I think pre-pandemic, it was a lot different because we were still just trying to argue that online lessons could actually be a thing. <laughs> Which is hilarious because online lessons were a thing. I know. I've been teaching online since, gosh, I found a blog when I was cleaning out the blogs for the new website where I started, where I announced that I was going to start teaching online. And I think it was from like 2015 or 2014. And I was like, <laughs> and the vlog is so funny, Nikki, because it's like, I'm going to try this really new thing and I'm not sure if it's going to work out, <laughs> but we're going <laughs> to, but we just, we always think forward. We're early adopters here in, you know, Faith Culture Kiss Studio. It's going to be great. Now you can try. And I, I had no systems. I was like, we're going to do it on like Zoom, which was brand new. Wow. Yeah, it was, it's just so funny to think about. Or I think we might even have been doing it on Skype. We were doing Skype and Skype back yep. then. Yep. So anyway, that was kind of a side note. But that those are differences between the online and the in-person, you know, but marketing is really the key thing. I think that's the biggest and you still have to market a brick and mortar, of mm -hmm. course. Yes. And some of the tools you might use will be similar, like, you know, the Google ads or Facebook or whatever. Um, but but the the way you're targeting that information and how specific you have to be for who comes with a set of expectations, the consumer has a set of expectations around a brick and mortar business that's different than a consumer's expectation around an online business. That is so true. Mm -hmm. And we have to get on board with our consumer expectation, mm -hmm. which means really clear calls to action. They know exactly where to look for what. They know the process, bleh, 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 all of that. And, and also I would say that services are much more clearly defined, you know? So in a brick and mortar, you can kind of be like, well, yeah, we do lessons and you come once a week and, you know, we'll figure it out. You can be a little bit more loosey goosey with your offers in that way. 
But online, someone wants to, if it's an online studio, they want to know, what am I buying from you? What does it look like? How much time does it take? What does it cost? You know, there's always a question like, should I put my prices on the website? Mm, Yes. Right? And I have, I... To me, that's a very individual conversation. So like, you know, call me, we'll, we'll figure it out if it's right for your business. But with online services, usually what's going to happen is there's some sort of free discovery situation happening. Mm-hmm. And then if it's a high-end service offer that's going to take a lot of time and effort, there's no, there might not be prices on there. Mm. And then once, but then also once you get, to, once your brand gets to a certain level, you absolutely want to put prices on there. Right. No matter how expensive they are, because you have enough traffic coming to you for that information, you know? And I, I think people underestimate how important the website is for an online business because the, the website is, it's your storefront. Yeah, websites. Uh, and and I, I feel for some people, you know, they'll say, I'm not techie. I'm not really good at it. But if you want to run that kind of business, you got to get, you got to get good at it. You got to know. Either that or you got to s- pay somebody. I mean, if you're going to have an online business, it is worth the capital to hire a person to help you build your website, to build your website and then teach you how to use it at least. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, because that's their job is to know all of that stuff. And then, and then I think as an online business, you know, investing in your SEO, your search engine optimization is second essential Um, But that that comes with, you know, that's my opinion, because I like to I like when people can create their own audiences. Mm -hmm. So like with face with social media, it's very popular, like people use social media. I don't think it's bad. I love social media for certain reasons. Uh, But, at you know, at the end of the day, you don't own really that content. You know, you're you don't really get to have an intimate conversation with that audience. You're kind of just putting it out there and hopefully they see it. You know, people who who and then the algorithms are always changing around how you're getting in front of new people like IG is is notorious for this Instagram where you're like, you know, you'll look at your insights and it'll be like, you know, you had this great reach and zero percent were people who weren't already following you. It's like, well, okay, that's great. I'm so glad that I get to nurture my audience. However, how am I, how is anybody new discovering me? You know, cause there's like that difference between like the nurture marketing and the discovery marketing and the conversion marketing kind of stuff. But um, yeah, with online business, clarity, high value offers and marketing, marketing, marketing and sales. You just gotta do it. You gotta, you gotta, gotta do you it. just gotta know about it. It's so different. It, I mean, it's, I guess it's not so different, but it, it is so different. <laughs> well, I know that, that you've only just literally scratched the surface, scratched the surface, the tip of the iceberg. So I, I want you to let people know how they can work with you. Right now, I think your best, honestly, your best bet, if this is something that you're interested in doing and just even any business is join the Speakeasy Cooperative mm-hmm. because 
Uh, we just updated our website. It is beautiful as swear words. Keith Eldridge over at Keith Dream Tech uh, is my is on our team, and he's a web developer. He's created a magnificent member backend for the members. And we've got tons of training on marketing. We talk about marketing and stuff all the time. And then also, if you're not quite ready to invest, um, and then from the Speakeasy Cooperative situation, join that, and then you can get one-on-one coaching with either Sarah, who's an expert at marketing. I'm great at kind of the overall marketing strategy and then like implementation stuff with Sarah. Kristen is there to help with copy. We've got Karen Michaels, who I know is a good friend of both of ours and a guest on your podcast as well, who always is so generous with her social media information. We've got tons of, (laughs) we've got a lot of people who are very good at social media now that they're in there too. So it's a great resource if you're kind of dabbling, like ready to kind of stick your feet in around all this kind of stuff. And then from there, you can book one-on-one, you know, but I think if you're not, if you're just ready to start dipping your toe in, Speakeasy is going to be the most cost-effective resource for you. Um, And then we can kind of talk about where investment needs to happen. Cause it might be like, don't pay me, go to a web designer, you know, or it might be, Hey, let's wait and then take how to run. Because you, you've really got to crunch through a bunch of this stuff and then go to a marketing agency because you have a plan to have like a $4 million business, you know, whatever. So uh, we really try to we really try to keep people from not spending what they don't have to spend. We want people to wisely invest their business dollars. <laughs> so I always say join Speakeasy first because you'll you'll learn what you don't know. Mm hmm. And then you can be like, I'm clear about what I need to invest more money in. I love it. And just, just maybe one little, little carrot. Um, How many members of the speakeasy, you don't have to name names, have built their businesses into six figure businesses? Well, we've got a, we've got a handful of multi six figures. Mm -hmm. I would say a handful. Um, I kind of break it up in my head. I break it up to like the people who actually want to do that, mm-hmm. you know, Sure. because <laughs> like, you don't have to want that. You could just no, be like, course. I would like to run a very sustainable, life-giving $80,000 a year business. Nice. <laughs> like that's fine. Sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yes, absolutely. We're not in, we don't have that whole like build your six figure business. No, no. You know, we're more like build the business you want we can help you figure out what that is. Mm-hmm. And if it's a six figure business, we're going to have a different type of conversation than if it's a $40,000 business or an $80,000 business. And if it's a multiple six figure business, then we're having yet another different conversation <laughs> about that because they're different, same questions approached in different ways in order to get those different results. You, you are a different person when you're running a $50,000 business than you are when you're running a half a million dollar business or a million dollar business. Like those are different personality types with different requirements mm-hmm. just because of the nature of the size of the business. Mm-hmm. I love it. So um, I would say of the people who want to achieve six-figure businesses and who are willing to become who they need to be in order to do that. We have a very good success rate. I love it. All right, Michelle, thank you so much. I'm going to put links to all of your socials and to your, uh, to the websites on the show notes. And of course, 
you are uh, such an inspiration and helping so many people. I love having you here. I love your conversations and the just the information that you bring is so helpful to so many people. So thank you so much. And I will talk to you soon. I love you. Bye. If you are working with super talented singers who are career driven, you may be working with a performer who has other team members working with them. These could be agents and they could be managers. My good friend Phyllis is joining us on the podcast today to help us understand the roles and responsibilities of these professionals, but most importantly, how the voice teacher can collaborate with them successfully. Welcome back to the Full Voice Podcast, my friend, my colleague, who has an amazing TikTok account, by the way, Phyllis Horridge. How are you? I am great. Thank you so much. It is always lovely to speak with you. I have many questions for you today. Today, our topic is agents and managers. So when we are working with students who perhaps are looking for a professional representation, but sometimes families will ask about that. And it's kind of, uh, and again, I know that it really depends in the country that you're in, but I, I want to, I want to, you to share, I'm going to do that again. I would love for you to share your experience um, and how you help your students and just help people understand maybe the role of like an agent. What is an agent's role in someone's career and then managers because there is a difference between the two, which maybe people don't understand. So let's dive in. Where do you want to start? Agents and managers and go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll start by saying an agent is somebody who finds and secures work for you, where a manager provides you career guidance and business management. Okay, very different. That's the difference between the two. Mm -hmm. An agent really wants you to work because they get paid on commission. So every booking that you make, they're going to make some money off of you. So you're not going to have agents looking out for you unless you are a valuable asset. Absolutely. And it's not easy to find an agent because of that. Mm -hmm. Because the agent has to find that you're valuable to them. Right. Right. Now, managers, though, uh, same thing, though, a manager would take a, a commission, a percentage of your earnings. Yeah, it varies with managers. Um, they could be salaried, Sure. Or they could be commission. Mm, okay. Okay. So when, because this has happened to me in my studio and I know I'm not alone. You have a young person, maybe of any age, really young, young adult, um, young or a teenager, um, who is incredibly talented and has a lot of opportunities opening up for them. And then they're starting to wonder, do we need some sort of representation? So how, how do you coach your students that might be asking about this or the parents that are asking questions about this? What, what, what information do you share with them? So again, it just depends on the student and what they've already done as a performer and how much they're doing too, because 
A manager literally is going to manage your day-to-day -day aspects of your career. They help you with scheduling, auditions, making phone calls, getting deadlines done for auditions and things like that. So if you know that you're not good at organizing, then maybe you want to get a manager to handle all of that for you. However, the manager isn't going to necessarily find and secure work for you. They may go online and do some searches and say, hey, there's an audition happening next week. Maybe you're interested in auditioning for it. Here's the information. Whereas an agent will come to you and say, hey, there's an audition. I've booked you for it. They'll see you on Wednesday. Ah. So if your student is looking to book more work, they might want to start looking for an agent, mm -hmm. but they should already have a pretty good resume before they do that because seeking that kind of representation requires you to do submissions and the agent wants to see what kind of work you've already done. And in some cases, the really good agents are by referral. Right. So if you have a friend who's working for that agency and they say, hey, I've got a friend who's doing some great stuff. Here's their name. Mm. That's how you can get work with that agent. So, so. I, I think that I think that's one of the things that I try to communicate to my students. And, and I mean, I'm working with really young students. This doesn't come up a lot. But on occasion is that they really need to have uh, a lot of experience and a lot of uh, like a, a pretty hefty resume before this is even a conversation. Would you agree? I do agree with that. And a lot for a lot of them, if I have students that are interested in that, but they don't have a good resume yet, I typically say, look at the colleges and universities because student film, um, is a great place to start to build, you know, your, your film reel. Because most, most agents, at least here in Louisiana, most people that are seeking out representation in agencies are film actors, film and television actors. Mm -hmm. You can have an agent as a theater actor also, but more and more theater actors are kind of steering clear of the agent because they're able to find these auditions on their own. Sure. Sure. Now, um, as a, as a coach, do you, like as a voice teacher, do you ha have to, so this is like a different side of the relationship. Um, how would a voice teacher or a coach work with, a with a student that has a manager and, or an agent like that? Sometimes that can be challenging. Absolutely. It can. Um, I have, the film industry in Louisiana is, is pretty strong. Sure. So I get a lot of students who don't sing at all, but they have to submit something of them singing for their reel. It's, it's more and more common now that actors have to sing. I mean, I have to say that I love that we're getting all these movie musicals, mm -hmm. but that means the actor has to sing. So I get these students who have agents, they come to me and go, my agent says I have to sing this, this, and this by this time. And I'm like, oh, okay, let's hear you sing. <laughs> and then they don't really, 
I'm like, mm-hmm, okay. So it can be a little demanding. Um, and of course, the agent's job is to book that work. So of course, they're going to be like, I need this and I need this by tomorrow. And so then I have to come back and say, well, you're not going to get it by tomorrow, but I'll, I can give you something good and presentable probably within a month. And they just have to accept that. All right. I, I'm really glad that you said that because, you know, I've, I did a lot of coaching. Uh, it wasn't for actors per se, but it was for like, um, uh, it was for record companies who had an, an up and cutting artist and they had pushed their vocals, uh, and, and now their voices were tired and they were about to go on the road and they thought, and then I have a manager going, well, she needs some voice exercises so we can send her on the road. It's like, yeah, it doesn't work like that. Like mm-hmm. who you're the manager. She didn't have a day off for six months. And now I have a magic wand that doesn't like, it doesn't fix that. So do you, do you have a hard time sometimes setting boundaries or are you like, no, this is, this is the best I can do. Take it or leave it kind of thing. Hey, I used to have trouble setting boundaries. I'd be like, yeah, I can do anything. <laughs> No, now, now it's really important to set those boundaries. Uh, I usually ask for the contact information of the agent or the manager so that as I'm working with the student, I can also be in contact with their agent or manager and make sure that they know exactly what I'm doing and why I'm doing it and how long it's going to take. So the communication side of it is super important. Nice. I love that. I think that's a wonderful teacher uh, takeaway there is that, you know, I, I always think, you know, the the best thing you can do is just be honest with someone and how they react to that is not your responsibility. I mean, it took me, I don't know, 30 years to come to terms with that, but that that's, I think that's super helpful for, for teachers out there that might have those, those struggles. Um, I, as always, Phyllis, I want to thank you. This information is very helpful. And for those of us who don't have the acting background, um, it, it is very empowering to know a little bit more about it. I want to thank you for your time and your talent. And as always, uh, I want to share uh, with my listeners where they can find you. So please tell everybody where they can find and follow you. You can find and follow me on almost any social under Phyllis Sings. I love that. I love that. Phyllis, thank you so much. Have a fabulous day. You're so welcome. You too. Over the last couple of years, as we have been navigating the pandemic, the offerings uh, that I have been uh, giving my students to perform have changed drastically. Now, back in the day, I was very fortunate because my teaching studio, my office, was in a lovely church, which had a lovely sanctuary with a wonderful modern sound system. And my students would have this amazing opportunity to perform with a band and we work on microphone skills. Now, of course, when COVID hit, my live performances came to an end. And while I miss those opportunities and I do miss singing in the sanctuary and, of course, having that um, that social aspect of everybody talking to everybody after the performances and celebrating everybody's performances, I have to say, moving to online performances, although at the beginning were was a little challenging, there's many opportunities here. And for those of you who perhaps now might be 
temporarily teaching online as, as there are some challenges depending on where you are um, with the Omicron variant. Um, but many teachers have moved to a hybrid model where they are teaching both online and in person. And well, for my studio, I have moved completely online. And I know that several of my colleagues <laughs> have also done the same. But I still see the importance of allowing my students to get together and perform for each other. So I wanted to share um, just kind of a, a like an overview of some of the things that we've done for group performances and what has worked and how we have um, kind of changed and tried different things along the way. Um, my first online recital was a little scary Uh, And I talked about it in a a previous podcast. But what I did was um, I had my students record uh, a self-taped video. And then I used Facebook in a private Facebook group. And I did a view, a watch party. Facebook used to do these things where you could line up a bunch of videos and invite people to a watch party. Um, that was my first online recital. Now, uh, it was a little, it was, it was fine. <laughs> it was a little scary. Um, we had some technical challenges with how uh, Facebook published things and how it viewed things. Um, my students were very new to self-tape videos. So there was some, some, you know, um, videos that maybe the sound quality was a little off or like there wasn't like, they didn't have enough lighting. So it was a little dark to see them. Um, but overall it was a great opportunity to, to see and celebrate. And my parents were in the Facebook and everybody's putting nice comments down. It was really lovely. Um, After that experience, I wanted to try something else. So we then went to recorded performances on Zoom. So again, my students, we would work on their songs. We get, you know, work on all the performance aspects of the songs. And we really dove into how to do a great self-tape video. Now, I want to tell teachers and remind teachers that um, self-tape performances were a thing long before COVID. Um, many schools, uh, musical theater companies, many organizations were requesting self-tape auditions for uh, entry into competitions or schools or all sorts of things. So I had colleagues that had oodles of experience preparing students for self-tape auditions. So The fact that our students have to try something different and record themselves is a very important skill. Don't forget that this is something that they could use long after we have endured this pandemic and we have gotten to the other side. It's a really important skill. So um, my students got better with the self-tapes and I saw great improvement. The other other big takeaway with self-tapes and I, I'm just speaking from my own experience, but I'm pretty sure you've had the same experience. I have always begged, pleaded with my students to record themselves and watch the recordings. And unless I did it for them in their lessons, it was never, ever done. Now, with the self-tape exercise, many of my students 
had to watch themselves. And although there was some stressful people and students that struggled with this in the beginning, my students are much more confident performers and I have noticed huge improvement because they are watching themselves and listening to themselves far more than they were before. Now, I would like to add in there, if you are working with someone who is finding this situation very traumatic, you do need to be mindful that this may not be an exercise for them. And there are certainly, I've actually, some of my um, uh, adults that I have worked with in the past really struggled with the self-tape. They, it, just watching themselves and listening to themselves brought up some, some feelings. So just be mindful. But generally speaking, most of my students have done amazing job. They've really leveled up and they've become quite um, proficient in creating wonderful videos of their performances. So my second set of recitals were recorded videos put together and shown as a video, a longer video on in my Zoom room. And this went much better than the Facebook watch party um, because uh, I had a little bit more control. Um, but uh, there were still some glitches here and there. And uh, the second uh, online Zoom recital that we did, um, I want to give you a little tip. Make sure when you are showing videos on your Zoom, and this goes for if you are using any kind of um, video file or, or any kind of video. If you want to play a video on Zoom, you want to go into share screen and then into the advanced setting and then hit video. It changes the way that the video is shown and the sound and the, the audio and the, and the video are way better. So on my second online self-tape viewing recital, um, people were thrilled with the quality because the videos, um, a shout out to my husband. My husband did the editing of the videos. He took, he, he um, uh, mastered the sound so that the sound was really clear and people loved the quality. It was a huge hit and everybody was just hands hands down, happy with the sound and video quality. Now, one of the things that I've been doing with my adults throughout the pandemic, um, I used to do these in person, as I used to have the occasional get-together where adults would sing for each other. And again, we used to do this in the sanctuary of the church. But I've been doing them online, and uh, we call them Sip and Sings. Now, I want to shout out, I cannot remember. It was a member of the Speakeasy Cooperative that, that had named these Sip and Sings. So I have stolen that name. So I, forgive me, person who came up with that delightful term. Now, Sip and Sing does not necessarily mean that it is alcohol-based, although I don't have any rules. And if someone wants to partake in an alcoholic beverage, they may. Um, but it's just this wonderful hour. Uh, people get to perform for each other and, and talk and reflect and share all sorts of stuff. And it's been a lovely opportunity, not only for my students to perform 
uh, and go through the challenges of being nervous and all of that stuff and having to perform for people. But it's also been a wonderful way for people to connect. So I've been doing that at least once a month for my adults. Now, I, I, when I was um, creating my fees for the past term, I included, I included the sip and sing performance in their tuition fees. So, and, and I'm very transparent about that. So your tuition fees include this many lessons plus the sip and sing. And there's no refunds if people decide not to come to the sip and sing is just part of their package. And my adults have been very, very thrilled with that. Now I'm doing, I'm doing a kind of a little mini end of term get together with all of my students, including my young singers, uh, where everybody is going to sing for each other. Now, what I'm going to do, I don't want to open my Zoom room up to all the families and their friends and their grandmas. Um, I I found that a little nerve wracking. I'm just going to be honest. When when I uh, did the online recitals, the viewing party recitals, and I had like 70 people in my Zoom room. It was a little scary. And there was somebody's grandmother that kept unmuting herself. Like, And then I could hear her talking in the background. So I kept having to mute this woman. But um, I didn't want, I wanted to provide a kind of a casual, relaxed, sing for each other environment without the stress of having to sing for family members. But what I'm going to do, and I did a test run, and I think it's going to work really well. I am going to record each of my students when they perform their songs in the Zoom call. And I'm going to just record them individually. And then I'm going to send that MP4, because Zoom will render it as an MP4, to their families. And they can celebrate their performances or watch them. And if they wish, and they can send it to uh, family members to, to watch the videos as well. So that's kind of my newest kind of offering. And um, my students are super excited. I have a small studio. A lot of my students know each other, they're friends. So being able to sing for their friends and support each other is, is really great. And also having something to give to families, a way of celebrating my students' efforts over the past few months, I think is probably one of the best things you can do. Um, parents love, love to see their kids perform. Uh, my son, <laughs> who is 11 and in grade six, had to play the ukulele at the Christmas concert at school. Now, um, he did not enjoy that performance because he doesn't really like performing, but <laughs> his dad and I really enjoyed watching it. So um, uh, it's a little different with my vocal students. They enjoy singing. So I'm, I think that kind of feedback is so helpful for moms and dads. And when I send it to my parents, I'm going to shoot them a very personal message, just thanking them for giving me the opportunity to work with their kids and to share with them some of their accomplishments and why I'm so proud of them. And that I think is so helpful, especially nowadays. I think parents, everybody could use a little 
good news, a, a little friendly email that has a, a wonderful gift like that in it. So uh, that is that is uh, the few little uh, group activities that I've been offering in my studio. I hope it's given you some inspiration. Um, they have not come without a learning curve and little glitches along the way, but um, I think that uh, with the help of my awesome students, we've been able to manage it uh, gracefully and with a sense of humor. And uh, I've seen so much improvement and my students are confident in a way that I have never seen before. So there are lots of wonderful opportunities. So for those of you who are worried about what you can do and the and and the the effectiveness of an online lesson you know if you're just doing it temporarily until it's safe to go back please don't think that you're offering anything less that is less in value you are still present and holding space your students are able to learn and grow and have fun and they will develop skills differently in an online than they will in person and they're just as valuable so please don't discount your prices please don't think you owe anybody an apology there is so much in our online offerings and there's a lot of opportunity so my friends, I want to wish you an amazing day, um, a wonderful, wonderful weekend if you're listening to this on a Friday, um, and all the success and joy and learning that you get from your performances. Uh, and also, happy singing.